fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. something movie podcast one movie each week 30 years in the making it's a 30 something movie podcast we're here this time around for career opportunities uh we we are a bunch of opportunistic young men and uh i i'm gonna still call us young like i've realized now that I think, Bo, I, I think officially, you were the one that, that finally brought us all into the 40s, at least. Yes, I, I'm the okay. baby, apparently, which... Who knew? I, that's fine. That's usually me, so I'm, I'm fine with somebody else taking on that role. You're still a young man, baby. <laughs> oh, don't waste your... Oh, I'm sorry. Are we? I thought we were talking about Tower of Power tonight. I'm... Hey, no, you... Do whatever you well. You do whatever you want. Okay, you went there. All right. I, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I stopped myself. <laughs> I did. I really did. I promise. Um. So anyway, I'm worried for what this episode is going to turn into. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it right now because I think, like right off the bat, I I think I'm 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 going to bury the lead here. I'm not. Well, no. <laughs> Hold on just a second. I'm I'm gonna have some of this tasty beverage to wash that down with. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good idea. Mm. The movie's not good, is what we're trying to say right off the bat before we even get started. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, there's not a lot of plot happening here. True. Um, they tried, like, they wanted you to feel for this, well, before we get too deep, you want to run the intro and then we'll... I will run the intro and then we can talk about what we felt. Yeah. And... <laughs> I'm going on music. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we lost Pat. <laughs> well, we're in, we're all not far off. No. Hey. Man, man down, Ethan. Man down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I do. I feel like this is one of those movies where, like, we know going into it, it's like this is not a great movie. No. And we just get kind of like slap happy with it. Yes. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like that's gonna that's gonna be this one. And on the surface, like I know why we chose this movie. Mm-hmm. There were two reasons. It sounded amusing. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> talented lead actress brought us the party. And, well. Are you okay, Pat? <laughs> God. I do not envy your editing of this. Oh, you okay. assume I'm going to do any editing. Okay. Oh, I, I assume at some point you're going to go, gosh, Nora might hear this. Mm. <laughs> I have to be careful. Just <laughs> right, right over. Right over. For now. For now. Well, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> oh, dear. All right. Well, I, I can cover for myself here. My name is not John Reed. Uh, my name is now Bob Bosenbeck. And I think yeah. I'll be Jim Amerson. Okay. All right. You know, I've got a meeting later uh-huh. in Dubai, so I'm going to jump on my private jet okay. and go take care of that because that's what Bob Amerson does. Yeah. Bob Bosenbeck. Okay. Anyway, I, I want to be Bob Bosenbeck. Yes. I always thought I wanted to be an Airborne Ranger. I want to be Bob Bosenbeck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we should probably start the episode now. Yeah. 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 All right. Yep. Well, we yep. we clearly, we've already spoiled the podcast. So um, this, <laughs> this podcast is probably beyond saving at this point. So we're just letting you know now. We're going to spoil the movie we talk about, and uh, we're going to spoil freely. So just be warned. The uh, the 30-something movie podcast is also part of the Scene Stealers podcast network. This episode is sponsored by Scene Stealers International Convention Agent, who have a top-class roster of movie and TV stars ready to be booked now for your Comic-Con or event. For more information, check out www.scenestealersglobal.com. And then finally, visit our website, 30podcast.com where you can leave a rating for the show, leave a voicemail, and you can become a co-executive producer by joining us on Patreon, where you get access to the exclusive Patreon members-only podcasts that we put out once a month, our most recent one having been Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, all good stuff. All wonderful stuff. All right. Career opportunities. I would like to take this opportunity to tell you more about career opportunities. Allow me to do so. Got to keep it business here or else we're just going to be giggling the entire time. Okay. All right. Well, rem- yes. Never mind. <laughs> what were you going to say? Well, I was <clears throat> going to say uh, the, the headline in this movie is look at the brain on press. I see you're, you're kind of, you're getting ahead of me here a little bit because that's going to be, so we'll, I'll just jump ahead and say that. I think what happens at the end of this movie is they go out to California and for some reason or another, maybe it's because of the events of this movie and, and I don't know, uh, he, he changes his name from Jim Dodge to Brett. Well, and that, that could be another of his alii. Exactly. And that's what ends up happening to him is that he is the Brett from Pulp Fiction. Well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. works in universe for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I'm, I'm sure... Josie needs to be consoled. Mm-hmm. And some of us would be happy to uh, assist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lend a hand, if you will. Well. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Moving on. Yeah. Career opportunities. That's the movie tonight. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Game face. Game face, Pat. 
bringing it, bringing bring the A game. Bringing the A game. <sighs> All right. So Career Opportunities came out on the 29th of March, 1991, rated PG-13 with a runtime of one hour and 23 minutes. Directed by Brian Gordon, who also did Curb Your Enthusiasm and Pie in the Sky. <laughs> Producers on this one, though he wouldn't want you to know about it, are John Hughes, who died in 2009, and Hunt Lowry. Uh, Hughes also produced The Great Outdoors and Home Alone. Lowry produced Donnie Darko, Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> Writer for this one was John Hughes. He wrote Ferris Bueller's Day Off and The Breakfast Club. Cinematography was done by Donald McAlpine, who also did Moulin Rouge and Predator. Music was done by Thomas Newman, who did 1917 and The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, budget, couldn't find the budget for this one. Box office was $11.3 million. So they probably broke more in that target than they actually made on this movie. I'm going to hazard yep. a guess with that one. Yeah. Um, flick metrics. Well, you never know. Yeah. A movie like this with the John Hughes name on it could have made enough money just because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Flickmetrics gives this one a 51%. And this one, and I'm trying to remember the last time that we had a cinema score this low. I mean, most of your cinema scores, they're they're like B plus, A minus. Like people who are going to see the movie, they went to that movie because they wanted to see it. And when they come out of it, most times, cinema score is a little bit higher. This one's a C plus. I don't know that I remember the last time we've seen a cinema score that had anything below a B. So, yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. So clearly people went to this one expecting something and they did not get what they were expecting. Well, written by John Hughes. You're sort of looking for something. Right. Right. Uh, so this one's starring Frank Whaley, who played Jim Dodge. He was in Pulp Fiction and Broken Arrow. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, Played Josie McClellan. She was in The Rocketeer and the TV series Snowpiercer. Uh, Dermot Mulroney played Nestor Pyle. He was in My Best Friend's Wedding and Young Guns. Kieran Mulroney played Gil Kenny. He was in Gettysburg and Nowhere to Run. John M. Jackson played Bud Dodge. He was in A Few Good Men and The Hitcher. Jenny O'Hara played Dottie Dodge. She was in Devil and Mystic River. Noble Willingham, who died in 2004, played Roger Roy McClellan. He was in Walker, Texas Ranger and Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, Nada Despodovich played Penny Dodge. She was in The Rocketeer and Jerry Maguire. Reed Binion played Cal Dodge. He was in Fried Green Tomatoes and Pet Cemetery 2. Barry Corbin played Officer Don. He was in Modern Family and No Country for Old Men. Denise Gallick played Lorraine. She was in Two for the Money and V, The Final Battle. Wilbur Fitzgerald played Bob Bosenbeck. He was in 11-22-63 and The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Dan Albright played Dave Hockner. He was in Remember the Titans and I Know What You Did Last Summer. And John Candy, who died in 1994, played C.D. Marsh. He was in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and Uncle Buck. When night shift custodian Jim is accidentally locked up alone in the store he cleans, wasn't really accidentally locked up, um, he realizes he has access to the entire building and decides to indulge in the abundance of free food and merchandise at his fingertips. Surprisingly, he bumps into local rich girl Josie, who is also imprisoned in the store for the night, and they quickly bond. Okay. Uh, but just as romantic sparks fly, Josie and Jim are interrupted by two small-time robbers. <laughs> was 15 when I invented the artificial dog heart. How you doing? 
John Hughes, the creator of The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Uncle Buck. Did I ever tell you about the time that I signed a professional ball contract? Would like to introduce you to Jim Dodge. You got fired again, didn't you? I'm not like everybody else. He's got brain damage. It does not. He spent 21 years improving on reality. Going to Paris on an F-14. Jim is going to find himself. Are you a slacker? No, I'm Presbyterian. I can offer you four forty-four per hour. Four four forty-four dollars and forty-four cents. What about the benefits? There's no eat. You're not being paid to eat, so don't. And don't play any music. I don't have any time to play any music. Don't touch me! Welcome to the target team. You're locking me in! Then, one wild night, Jim Dodge finally found the real thing. training. You're an heiress. You know what your problem is? No, but let me go get my list. What are you planning to steal? Hairspray? Well, we haven't decided yet, have we? From John Hughes. Career Opportunities. The story of a man and a woman, aisles apart. If I was sweating, would you touch me? I would probably touch you even if you were covered with spiders. And one night that changed everything. I was uncomfortable as I thought it'd be. Oh, no, 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 it's not bad. Career Opportunities on video cassette. How does this movie make you feel? And is this the first time you've seen this? Yes, it is the first time I've seen it, and it makes me feel some kind of way. Some kind of wonderful, would you say? Sure. Yeah, okay. I'll give it that. I don't know. I, I have more questions than answers about this one. I got to be honest. Pat, how do you feel? You know, I vowed I would never say I didn't like a movie again. And this movie is really pushing me to, like, break that vow. That's what I'm going to say. That's what I got. I, Tom, what, what, oh, sorry, Pat. Go ahead. And I was just going to say, and first time. First time I saw it. I actually forgot to tell you guys, we have a new Patreon sponsor and they love this movie. Uh, I knew it was kind of, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. You know? <laughs> I know, but it's going to happen. We know it it's all going to happen. It will. It's, Hey, you know, if we want more Patreon people, maybe I just need you to hate movies. You know what? I, here's what I'm going to say. John Candy brings his a game in. Yeah, he, does. he does. And that, I mean, I could sit there and watch, I could watch that scene for an hour and 23 minutes. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Okay. What do so, you mean he didn't get on the plane? <laughs> oh, who am I talking to? I, I can offer you four forty-four, four 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 dollars and forty-four. What what about the benefits? <laughs> <laughs> Two fifteen-minute breaks and a yeah. lunch. Yeah, a half-hour lunch. <clears throat> How does this movie make me feel? I'll start <laughs> with. <laughs> I'll start with this is the first time I've seen this movie. Hmm. Uh, I I will also start with it's not the first time I've seen the GIF that is probably most often associated with this movie. 
Well, well, no. Giddy no, up. I think that, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a thing. Giddy up. Um, how does this movie make me feel? I would like to quote the legendary Garth Algar and say, makes me feel kind of funny. Like when we used to climb the rope in gym class. That's that's what I'm going to go with. Um, well played, sir. Thank you. Yeah. So, okay. I don't even know where to start with this one, but I have questions. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about movies in the past that were basically vehicles to sell toys. I was really expecting when I read a little bit about this movie and I read up in the trivia and all sorts of other things to hear about some connection to Target. Mm-hmm. And I have yet to find one. Mm-hmm. Was this Target of all places? Why would they choose Target, a real place? Why not some generic unnamed store? Like there had to be some sort of cross promotion planned. Well, <laughs> I have so many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it, the funny thing, so out of the mouths of babes, um, when I mentioned to the kids, when it was going through like some of the three questions, and I mentioned that one of our movies was a movie where somebody gets locked into a target, and... <clears throat> <laughs> of course, Nora, the one who like watches movies with me and, and like at, at age 10, I've got her analyzing movies. Um, she goes, the first thing she says, as soon as I say they're locked into a target, she goes, Ooh, that would be fun. I bet there was a lot of product placement. It was, I mean, it was a moment. Yeah. Definitely was that moment where you felt mm-hmm. like, okay, this is huge target commercial. Mm-hmm. They are taking you around the store and they are showing you the food area and the electronics area and the housewares area. They definitely hit all the departments pretty on brand. Yeah. I've yet yeah. to find like that one paragraph where it says John Hughes wrote this story and he put them in store and someone said well we can get a lot of money from target if we do it in mm-hmm. the target and shoot it like this and i just i <laughs> yeah i haven't in, in you know just in doing the internet research that i tend to do before we do each of our movies um i could not find anything the only thing i found was i mean they tell you the target it was shot at mm-hmm. right don't say anything about the cross promotion they don't say anything about like they don't say anything about where were all the security cameras recording him eating all the food and all that kind of stuff and well yeah yeah. and who leaves a new employee at overnight cleaning alone well and and if the store is locked how do the robbers get in well they do show that one scene at the end where they sort of jimmy their way back in Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Um, and is, it, is it legal to lock somebody in? No. Like, seems like something that by the nineties we would have gotten away from. <laughs> so one of the, well, maybe um, one of the things I did read was that this this movie was written before Home Alone was created, mm-hmm. but it didn't get produced and filmed until after Home Alone had already come out. So one of the things I read was this was John Hughes was kind of working out some of the things that he would eventually put into 
Home Alone, you, you've got the two robbers, you've got the situation where somebody is is trapped or locked in somewhere, and they have to kind of use some of their surroundings to help them. Um, so I, there were bits and pieces of that kind of tied into and there were some gags, the storytelling. Like, yeah, gag with the drawing of them when they find the crooks at the end. Yeah, they reuse that in Home Alone Two. Yep. Um. Well, so so let me ask it this way. Of of my questions that I've got here prepared for us, let, let me ask it this way, and maybe that'll help us try to figure some of this out. Yeah. Or, or maybe not. Um, what was this movie about? That for, um, it's funny because that's what I was thinking. You know, here just so I'm not just like railing on the movie, mm-hmm. but that's what kind of got me is that. <sighs> You know, okay, so the the kid couldn't hold down a job, but his relationship wasn't that good with his parents. You know, the dad seemed kind of, you know, pretty out of touch. So it wasn't about him redeeming a relationship with his family. It wasn't about necessarily about him holding down a job. And even like the love story with him and the girl is that what it was about? Because even that seemed kind of, they were, they, I mean, they were saying all the things that you would say in that situation, but I I don't know. That just didn't feel like there were any stakes in it. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't feel very well developed. I mean, the the opportunity was there. And I mean, I think the, the setup was great. I mean, it's the same kind of thing that you see in the breakfast club, you know, like, but just removed four or five years, right? Okay. So they're college age or soon to be off to college age and everything. So they're not in high school, but they're trying to, you know, some of those conversations they had and it could have been, they could have delved into their different personality types and you could have explored, okay, well, why do these personality types, you know, did this come from who you were in high school or did these personality types define who you were in high school. Now let's go from there. How did that set us up for where we are in life right now? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, like, uh, the, um, Jennifer Connelly character could possibly be the Molly Ringwald character plus four or five years, right? Like, you know, definitely from a well-off family kind of the, daddy's little girl that, you know, like that kind of thing, but then starting to rebel against that. Now, this guy, the, the guy, um, Brett from Pulp Fiction, he's, uh, his character wasn't in the breakfast club, but it's the same thing. Like that's, that's what this movie could have been, but instead it kind of was all gag humor which was funny because like my reaction was like, I didn't, I didn't know John Hughes movies much until we started this podcast. Like I knew uncle buck, I knew great outdoors. I'd heard of the breakfast club, you know, all that kind of, or I'd seen the breakfast club, but I mean, I, I didn't know him inside and out. And it was funny, like watching this movie, I'm like, this just doesn't seem like his thing. Like it, it, he does. I mean, this is almost like goofy slapsticky kind of humor. And then I've read that like he wanted to take his name off of it, you know? So I guess that's the thing with this movie is like, I I think it could have been that. And I think the humor, if they would have just toned it down from being so ridiculous, it could have still been a funny movie, but I I think they kind of 
they kind of let the pitch sail by with with uh, actually telling a story. So. Yeah, I mean, at best, you get a he maybe convinces him to leave home and grow up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you don't end with him going out to L.A. and actually making something of himself. You end with him lounging by the pool, dreaming of the Hollywood sign being him would. Yeah. So he grows up enough to realize that he doesn't want to live at home and move off his parents, but... Instead, he's going to mooch off her $50,000 and live in L.A. instead. I, I suppose he gets the girl in the end. But as far as what's it about? It's the, you know, it's the slapstick up the crooks of Home Alone without any message. Like a first attempt, a lot of things and. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i mean i think i think for me in this one what i really i think you guys have both have you you've both said it is it just doesn't have like i i clearly know when i watch 16 candles i know what that movie's about you know i know that it's about samantha trying to find her place in her family and you know everybody's forgetting her birthday and you know kind of feeling left out and alone and i know that home alone like we know i know what that one's about you know the relationship between the kid and his his family and in particular his mother and you know the the trying to redeem that part of it and understand from each other's point of view i know that breakfast club we know that one it 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 all seems pretty clear Uncle Buck, like all of these, John Hughes is so good with the personal relationships between family and between kids and adults. And it just, all of that is missing from this. Like if you had told me, if you hadn't told me that this was written and produced by John Hughes, I might not have known it's a John Hughes movie Mm -hmm. because so much of that seems to be missing here. Like I don't, in all the other movies, I'm trying to think of a John Hughes movie where this doesn't happen, but in all the other movies, there is a certain, and I, I don't know that I want to blame this on the actor. There's a certain charm. I know we've said that a lot. There's a certain charm to the main character in all of John Hughes's movies. You know, whether it's Uncle Buck, whether it's Ferris Bueller, whether it's the kids in, um, you know, even when they're being jerks in the Breakfast Club, there's still something that's kind of charming about these characters and, and you, you know, you're rooting for these characters in this one. I don't know that I ever find myself rooting for Jim. Now, if I had, maybe if I had seen this movie when I was a teenager, maybe I'd have a completely different perspective. Oh, you, at some point in our lives, we would have rooted for Jim. Yeah. Well, you would have, I think, well, I'm not going to say what you would have done, but I think, You know, you would vote. A person would vote or root vote. A person would root for him because, all right, he's the guy to get the girl. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you're 13 or 14 years old, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a person that's 13 or 14 years old tends to be a little bit more, uh, you know, superficial in their outlook of the movie, right? And so it's just like, oh, okay, good guy, bad guys, good guys trying to get the girl, 
Okay, good guy's upset. Now he's not upset anymore. You know, it's like you're not going to kind of drill down. You're going to just watch what's there and move on to the next thing. I'm not saying every 12 or 13 or 14 mm-hmm. year old, but I mean, I think the typical one might. But it's like when you want to watch it and you want to see a little bit more of a a story that sticks with you, a story that makes you think, right? I, I, I think you want a little bit more, but this, this movie isn't providing it. Now, I will say one of the things that I did think the movie did fairly well was when the two of them, when Josie and, um, and Jim were kind of locked in the, in the target, um, the one thing I think it did do well was their conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was, I think that's another thing that John Hughes always does really well is the conversations between young people in the movies, you know, you kind of, sometimes the, sometimes the parents, the adults kind of get relegated to either the bad guy, or if they're not the bad guy, they're just kind of, they're off in the wings, you know, maybe influencing some stuff here or there, maybe getting in the way here or there, and they don't fully understand the kids. And, um, but the conversations between teenagers tend to be always, you know, really good quality in a John Hughes movie. I think that's what this one did well. Even mm-hmm. if I couldn't tell you exactly what this movie was about, you know, they, they they continually refer to him as like the town liar. And he's always making up stories. And even in the trailer, like there were even more that I don't think they used in the movie of stuff. He's like, you remember the one I, mean, I tell you about the time I invented the artificial dog heart and yeah. like weird stuff like that. And I don't know. I don't know that I know necessarily where that came into play unless you want to say that he's been lying to himself about his own potential and what he could be doing. But I'm not sure that that got fleshed out enough. Right. Yeah, I hear I hear you. So I I did appreciate, you know, the the real because I think that's one of the things about John Hughes is that people often talk about is the (laughs) real conversations between kids. You know, most times adults would be like, yeah, kids aren't mature enough to have a a weighty conversation that actually has substance to it. Um, But John Hughes is always really good about doing that. It's like, no, no, no. These, you know, you you think of these kids as not being mature enough, but lock them in a target together and they're actually going to have some pretty mature conversations. Right. And I think that's what this movie did well. The rest, not so much. Like there wasn't much of it. Like you said, there wasn't much of a story. It was a bunch of little scenes here and there of him like eating the candy in the in the aisle at the Target and, you know, playing around with the different stuff and coming up with a, a better sweeping system with like seven or eight different dustbusters. Yeah. Well, see, that's in those other movies or, for example, like The Breakfast Club specifically. I mean, all of the action was in support of getting the kids to the point where they could have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. So them getting to know each other, them getting into their misadventures, them get like everything was in support of those conversations. Right. In this, I don't think you could say that. Right. I I mean, that's where, and just kind of piling on now we're saying the same thing over and over. I mean, it's just like everything in this movie was a hodgepodge. It didn't come together to support or facilitate them having meaningful discussion. Mm Mm-hmm. They would just kind of pop up. Yeah. And, and the discussion was there, but I didn't feel like any of the, any of the discussion or the dialogue, like pushed the story forward. Mm-hmm. Kind of felt like it was just talking for the sake of talking. And yeah. that it didn't necessarily have an effect on the overall plot of the movie. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. So I think that, that I think that's where this one lost me was I, I can't really tell you what it was about. Like other than no other than it being about a couple of kids that just want to get out. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you much beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there were some interesting things that they could have they didn't have to, but and and I, I don't know if you want to get too heavy with it, but I think there were some more interesting things. I actually and and not just because of some of the obvious reasons. I think this could have been a more interesting movie if um, if Josie had been the main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we explored more of her her family life and why she wants to get out and get away. Mm-hmm. There's definitely mm-hmm. more there. Well, because she she more than implies, you know, her dad's abusive. Mm-hmm. Right, and but you, you never... could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- to me, that would have been more interesting. I just don't find, and again, I might've been different if I had seen this at a younger age. I just don't find Jim to be an interesting character. He's kind of obnoxious, like more obnoxious than usual. I mean, even like Ferris Bueller can sometimes be a little obnoxious. Cameron can be a little obnoxious. I, there was just something about Jim that I, <laughs> something about Jim. Um, I think like according to Jim, um, there was just something about his character that I just did. He wasn't interesting to me. He was, he was more obnoxious than any other John Hughes character I've ever come into contact with. Mm-hmm. And I just did not, I did not care about him at all. But if you had flipped that and if you had made, you know, to me, Josie was the more complex character. I felt like Jim was a confused character and Josie was a complex character. Yeah. And if you had made her the main focus of this, if she was the protagonist, that to me would have been more interesting. Yeah. Well, like that scene when she gets introduced, I mean, like, uh, you this, know, obviously this, in, this introduction. <laughs> That's it. I'm gonna, you That's know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put that uh, I'm going to put an MP3 of that sound file on my phone. And then every That's... time I walk somewhere and I take my coat off, I'm just going to start playing that music. Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. Definitely do that. You're so, uh, Pat. I just wanted to say the the robe or the blanket that you're wearing. I think looks yeah. a little bit like the jacket she was wearing in the in the movie. It perhaps it was. Mm. Perhaps it was. This is oh. kind of an '80s or, or early '90s, late '80s type style. Okay. I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. That's right. Uh, about style, other than the blanket, because the air uh, the air conditioning's off, the heat's off. Yeah. All right, we're back, and we've got the princess. <laughs> We're back. Here's the news. All the news is new and approved by the U.S. Army, the sweetest smelling army in the world. I I look at that scene when she gets introduced to us. Or wait, is she introduced? She's in the car when she comes home. When she The first see, time we see her, she's in the car at the gas station. Okay, this is when she's at home and yeah. the, the father has the two business partners there. Yeah. Bob Bosenbeck. Yeah. And, Bosenbeck. and she she comes in and it's like, okay, I'll put my hat on if, you know, I was... 14 years old watching this and it's just like, Oh oh, man. But now you watch that and you just think, okay, like if you saw your, your daughter doing that to, you know what I'm saying? Like to, it's just like, Whoa, there's all sorts of dysfunction and damage and all that kind of stuff on display. Now, if we're playing this for laughs, then okay. Cheap laughs, but, and if we're, not playing it for laughs, then this cycles back to John, what you were saying. There's 
a lot of stuff down in the basement there that we got to kind of like bring up and like, what is going on here? And what, and then, and then the dad spends, abuse, and then the dad know, spends rest of the movie making it seem like he's concerned she's missing. Yeah. So there was some, some, which I mean, would kind of fit in line with someone that's abusive. Yeah. Right. Like trying to, where is she? I've got to find, you know, to kind of possess the person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this wasn't like a high school kid cause they were all supposed to be graduated a couple of years mm-hmm. beyond high school. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, I, think I, I think I read somewhere they were supposed to be either 20 or 21. Okay. So, I mean, you know, older kid, young adult, mm-hmm. well, obviously an adult, you know, so it's not like some freshman, you know, like a 14 year old or 15 year old, right. It's, it's someone that's a little bit older and, could be moving out of the house and the whole shooting match there. But even that, like, like you said, okay, was this just concerned dad? Like, Oh man, I said some stuff. She's confused, you know, sort of like the uncle. Well, hang on. Uncle Buck spoilers, uncle Buck spoilers. But like you see there when he's trying to deal with the eldest daughter and she's rebelling, right? Yeah. But in this one, it's just like, oh man, I just, you know, I've been so nasty to her and I said some things I really shouldn't have. And there's got to be some kind of a, a, um, you know, what am I trying to say? What, what's, what's a better word for patching it up? Like fixing it up. Resolution. Resolution. Yeah. Reconciliation. Mm -hmm. There's got to be some of that or the guy's just an abusive of jerk that is like driving on like, where is my daughter? Mm -hmm. But either way, like you said, they don't explore either of those things, you know? I mean, it's just kind of there and you're left with, is this all being played for laughs or silly or, but there's a lot of stuff that they kind of telegraph, Yeah, you know? Well, I think it's like we said earlier, it's, they, they run off to California and uh, Mr. McClellan, Josie's dad, reaches out to one of his business associates, uh, Mr. Marcellus Wallace. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, they, they ultimately are able to track them down and yeah, things do not work out well for, uh, for the artist formerly known as Jim Dodge, now known as Brett. It's going not go well in LA. No. That could possibly be one truth or another truth is Marcellus Wallace had Tony Rocky Horror thrown out of a window <laughs> for giving you a foot massage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason that Marcellus Wallace threw Tony Rocky Horror out the window is in is between Marcellus Wallace and Tony Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and even um, even even what's his name? I, I mean, uh, Brett. I, I mean, I, I guess Brett. Like again, it was very shallow and very much played for laughs. I guess I would kind of like to have seen it him played a little bit more like. Um, Like, um, uh, what was the guy that was the kickboxer? It's the upcoming sport, sir. Yeah, it's an upcoming sport. We train hard. And he ended up going with the girl to France in the end of that movie. Remember that one? What was that movie? And it was uh, it was the guy, his sister is an actress as well. It was in Double Impact. No, 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 no. This was, um, this was like a John Hughes movie. And it, the, the, the guy... His sister, they were in a lot of 80s movies. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
Remember that? And oh. he was kind of the guy from the wrong side of the tracks type of thing. Yeah, it was. And uh, he was like, it was uh, John Cusack. Which one was that? John Cusack. Yeah, where he plays the kickboxer, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sir, I'm a, I'm a, I'm training a kickboxing Does it say anything? sport of the future. Say anything. Yeah. Mm. You know, like I mean, write a little bit that of more into that, right? Because mm-hmm. even though that guy was kind of a free spirit and just kind of like, yeah, I'm just doing whatever, but he had a goal and he, you know, treated the girl okay. And I mean, I'm getting into the other movie now, but I mean, wasn't that kind of his thing in that movie? Is that he's like, you know, I'm I'm going to treat her well. I'm going to be a good person, like you mm-hmm. know. But he just kind of did his thing. Make this guy like the same in the same vein, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, I mean, it's very, it's very similar. She was a little bit more the kind of the studious, you know, they had money, but it was mm-hmm. because the dad was kind of crooked. Um, right, right. And she was, she was kind of the more studious, straightforward one. Um, but comparing the two movies, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of similar situations, similar relationship yeah. type deal. Um, yeah, say anything would... Lloyd Dobler is, is in Say Anything is much more, John Cusack's character is, you know, much more intriguing as a character than yeah. Jim Dodge is. Yeah. It, it, or, and, you and, know, and wh- more, and more fleshed out, like more well-rounded as a character. Yeah. Like you actually, you actually like him. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a, he's still kind of that underachiever. Um, but he's not, he's not quirky to the point of being annoying. Yeah. And he's not a jerk. And he's got a plan. Yeah. yeah. And he's got a plan. Right. Yeah. You know, he knows what he wants to do with himself. And this guy, I, I, he's just, he's almost too much of a, the Jim Dodge character is almost too much of a slacker. Well, yeah. And then they don't explain why. And then he gets all angry when he hears what the kids were saying about him. Yeah. Well, they're, you're angry because you're angry because it's true. <laughs> yeah. Like wh- why do you get to get angry about that? Yeah. You know, I mean, is that realistic that the character would get angry about that? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I, I, there was just, like you said, they didn't, they didn't build this character. They didn't yeah. give you anything to go on. I would be curious to know more. And, and I wasn't able to find, you know, just from internet searches and whatnot, I wasn't really able to find exactly what, what the studio did with the movie that made John Hughes so upset. Um, I mean, it sounds like there were several things that were changed. It sounds like he just did not, he just was not happy at how the whole thing turned out and requested. He used words in one thing I read, he used words like vulgar. Yeah. It sounds like maybe he wasn't around for, or they wouldn't listening to any of his script notes. And yeah, I mean, we've all been around block enough to know that you can you can take a scene and shoot it one way and Mm -hmm. the same scene shot a completely different way it looks very different yeah so i wonder if i wonder if his take on it was because they very clearly very clearly use jennifer connelly in some of the scenes in this movie in a way that does not necessarily scream story development Mm. or, or character um, I mean, she's, we'll just lay it out there. She's basically used for her looks in a good several scenes, if not the majority of the scenes she's in in this movie, which is a shame because her character has some really intelligent things to say. So I wonder if that's where he got upset about it because dialogue wise, she's an interesting character. 
that's not how they shot her. Right. And I, I feel like he wrote her as this interesting character and it's just not the way they ended up on screen. Right. Right. You know, they, they chose to take a, a well-developed character and, and shove her in a white tank top and have her roller skate around a target. Which, like which is you're right. Which which is which is fine. That's all fine if you want to you know do that with your character. But I think that just where I, I wonder if that's what made him upset about it is that if it was it focused too much on her, her her looks. Yeah. Well. Well. And don't don't his characters in his movies? There's always the why. They give you the why is that character that way? Yeah. You know why is that character saying those things? Like you said, mm-hmm. they gave her intelligent things to say. But I mean, there was no exploration of why did the character get to that point? Mm-hmm. Why do they, what informs their actions, yeah. you know? And, and isn't that John, in my opinion, that's John Hughes thing is then by seeing that, that becomes the, you know, how you can better understand kids or understand where kids are coming from. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't here. It, this just was like, she was rebelling for one reason or another. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so shifting gears just a little bit, the environment of the target itself, did that help or did that hurt the movie? Like, did that did that change it? If this were to be in a completely different location or store, or was there anything necessarily that said, this has to be in a department store, this has to be in a target? We kind of talked a little bit about it before, like we're not quite sure why target. Um, you know, did... Did, certainly did they need this environment? Thing about the Target versus another store, and you know, I suppose a Walmart works just as well if it was shot today. But you, you had options. Um, it has to be a store with all of those things, um, because it <laughs> kind of make this make sense. If you pick a store like, say, Macy's, Mm -hmm. you might not have the food court angle. You're not going to have tents. Um, You're not going to have the paper plates you need to set up the dinner in the middle of aisle five and cook in the microwave. Right. Well, yeah, you're right. But you would have China at Macy's. I suppose you could have stepped up a little. Well, yeah. You almost need those components to keep it interesting. I feel like that's what one of the things that keeps this interesting is your, there's always another place in the store to go that looks totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're walking through a Macy's, it's aisles and it's racks and racks of clothes. And let's be honest, a sweater versus a shirt doesn't really change the look of that scene that much. Where in this case, you're going from tents to TVs to food prep to, you know, there's just different places to go. Mm-hmm. So while I guess I would say it wouldn't have had to be a target, the fact that they had more to play with in that target might have helped a, a little bit. Now, you could just as easily have done it in a mall with multiple stores that right. you had access to, yeah. and it would have right. accomplished that same goal. I, right. I think one of the good one of the things they did right was give themselves give themselves options. Mm-hmm. Of course, you had to have tile floor because you had the roller skating. Right. I mean, you just had to. Yeah. And where you know how many other stores other than Target are you going to have a full, larger than life 
display a fanny hose to run in. Oh yeah. Because that was awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Bo. I mean, I think everything he said, the opportunities, the you know, the fact that it's in a store, all the yeah, I think works. And I think could you have picked another location? Probably, but that would not have helped the story at all. You know what I'm saying? Like the yeah. things to help this story was just, you know, changing some dialogue thing. Change, yeah. I mean, it was it was writing a plot. You know, like that. I, I think the setting worked. It was just back to our initial question: What was this really about? So, well, and I wonder too if I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to kind of think back to the mindset of 1991. And I'm wondering, is Target, I don't think I would think of Target as being a, a an essentially Midwestern kind of thing. Because that's the other thing about the John Hughes movies is it's it's pretty much, it's the Midwest. Like it, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost always Chicago or Illinois. It's almost always the Northern suburbs. Um, but it's always very uniquely Midwestern and uniquely mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, I'm wondering if there just doesn't seem to be anything uniquely Midwestern or Chicago or Northern suburbs of Chicago about a target. So I'm wondering if that's maybe part of what was, what was missing about this too, is it's just, it's not one of the usual locales because usually in his movies, the the location tends to add to the charm and the storyline. And, you know, it's, it's such an essential piece of it. Whereas you're just kind of in a, you're in a, a corporate department store setting. Right. So maybe right. partly because of that, it just, it doesn't have quite the same heart to it that, that another John Hughes movie might have. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, did he, he wrote this, right? Yeah. He wrote and produced it. And wrote and produced, but he isn't director. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think, I think target like it's home office or something is in one of the Midwest. Oh, aren't, they, aren't they a Minnesota company? I, yeah. I, I feel like, yeah. Yeah. But that being said. Minneapolis. Okay. There we go. So, I mean, maybe 30 years ago, do you know what it would be? It would be sort of like us, whenever we were talking about LA, talking about an In-N-Out burger. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, we've heard of it, but we think of that as a fake. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's spread so much that when we look at it, it seems, you know, super corporate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also to your point, it's like, you're still, I mean, that's the point of it. Wherever you go, this could be Chicago. This could be Minnesota. This could be Wisconsin. This, if we're just talking the Midwest, this could be Indiana. And that doesn't help locate this movie right because the targets looks the same no matter what of the midwestern states you're in so again back to your initial point you know you yeah it is interesting that they chose a target mm-hmm. yeah some stuff just for me just not adding up with the movie yeah all right. Well, kind of related to before we get into our three questions, kind of related our uh, our questions to kind of ask, does this movie hold up for us 30 years later? Um, if this movie was being released in theaters today, what would be the reason you would go see it? 
Thank you for that look, Bo, because that's the that's the correct answer. Hey, just checking. Well, I mean, John Hughes and Jennifer Connelly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else is there? That would be it for me. Yeah. Have I seen the movie before I go see it in a theater? Is this a re-release? No. So you are no, you're, is... you're standing in front of the uh, the movie theater marquee, yeah. And, and you're looking at the movies that are available. And okay. let's say let's say you have access to be able to watch the trailer, and so you have a sense of you know who it was made by, who's in it, that kind of stuff. Um, so you have a, a vague sense of the story. You know the director, you know the producer, the writer, the actors what would be the reason you would go see this? So if you were like, all right, I'm in front of the movie theater. I'm going to go in and watch this movie. Why would you have picked this movie? I don't think I would have. I don't like romantic comedies and character. But if you were going to. I suppose the same thing that, you you know, John Hughes, Jennifer Connelly. Okay. That's, that's pretty much the same for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I, I could even say, well, and normally I, I really like John Hughes, but I could even say those would be my two reasons. And you could even hold the John Hughes. Yeah. That's like, that's, that's like Nora when she tells me like her favorite kind of sweet potatoes. Yeah. She's like, yeah, when we fix sweet potatoes at Thanksgiving, my favorite kind is the sweet potatoes with the marshmallows and hold the sweet potatoes. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. There it is. Uh-huh. But again, I just cycle back to, I mean, I don't necessarily go in for that whole like romantic. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not my deal. That's that's not your thing. That's not my thing. So you kind of have to. Well, and this is, I think what we already said, you have to give me something to kind of suck me in and give me a reason to go see it. Now, Mm -hmm. if I've seen the breakfast club and if I've seen, you know, um, yeah, I'll go check it out. And that's probably why John Hughes then was just like, uh, I don't I don't want my name on this is because right. it doesn't fit with his his thing. Yeah. Or we're way wrong. Like I like I can pretend to know what I'm in John Hughes's head like and know what he's thinking. That's yeah. pretty arrogant of me. Well, we know he didn't like it. Yeah. And he and tried to distance himself and they refused. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now I'm just rambling. Now I'm just looking at your uh, backdrop there, John, and there you go. distracted. Um, I had completely forgotten about this. This this movie, because she was in a John Hughes movie, and uh, because Spider-Man Homecoming had several references to John Hughes and John Hughes movies, um, she that's why Jennifer Connelly was the voice of the artificial intelligence in Spider-Man's suit in Spider-Man Homecoming. Really? And the second layer to that, her husband mm-hmm. is Paul, Paul Bethany. Yep, Paul, Paul Bethany. Bethany. Mm-hmm. Paul Bethany. Yep. Oh. Jarvis slash Vision. Vision yep. slash the voice of the suit slash whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Guy, man. Uh, oh, yeah. Lucky oh. guy. Well, yes. Yes. All right. And then the second question, I, I think I know the answer to this one. Would you buy this movie on DVD, Blu-ray or digital? No. 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 Sorry, guys. I don't want to. No, not happening. 
Not worth the shelf space. Nope. Don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Yep. Don't want to no, hurt the actor's I, I, feelings. I now have context for the uh, the gift that you see often of Jennifer Connelly riding on the uh, mechanical horse. Yeah. I, I now have seen the movie that that's from. I'm like, all right, I've uh, I've done my due diligence. I've watched the movie. I, I don't know that I need to see it ever again. Yeah. Yeah. I, so mm. this one can uh, this one can stay on the shelf. Mm-hmm. No. All right. Well, gentlemen, I think it's time for three questions. Fired up. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. If you were locked in a target for the night, which section would you likely spend the most time in? Movies. Okay. Movies slash TVs. I mean, Star Wars update TVs at once and just kick back. I mean, you'd have to drag a lounge chair over from garden. But, oh yeah. You know? Yeah. But that's the, that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. I, that, that was my response to electronics. Yeah. You got video games, you've got cameras, you've got movies, giant TVs. That's where I'm spending my time. Yep. I think that makes sense. That makes sense. Try out all the games that you didn't mm-hmm. own for your system. Yeah. Yep. Is that yours too, Pat? Yeah, that's okay. what I'd say. Okay. I might take stuff in the back just because of the aforementioned cameras, uh, you know, mm-hmm. watching me and everything. And then the guy comes back. Yeah. Yeah. But electronics. Okay. That'd be the spot. All right. Question number two, what's your favorite Jennifer Connelly role? Dark City. Yes. That was that was definitely on my probably my top five short list of things. Time to watch that movie again. It's been just long mm-hmm. enough. Speaking of movies that we feel like are, are worthy of buying a physical copy of, I'm looking over there right now. I'm like, there you are. <laughs> Hello, Dark City. We, we should get reacquainted. Hello, old friend. Hello, old friend. <laughs> I'm saying the Top Gun Maverick trailer. <laughs> For there a movie go. that's not even released yet. I like it. Hey, Benjamin. Admiral's daughter. Yep. There it is. <laughs> there it is. If I if you're going to force me to go... Um, um, if you're going to force me to uh, say something other than the Top Gun trailer, then I'm just going to wait until you've given your answer because I don't want to steal it. Okay. I, I, my answer is probably very obvious. I'm going to go Rocketeer. There it is. The Rockahoo. The Rockahoo. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Rocketeer because I, I really like her in that role because 
I think sometimes it go gets overlooked at just how she's not for a movie that's supposed to be set in the 1930s. She's not a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think up to that point, um, at least the movies that I've seen her in, um, you know, Labyrinth and I hadn't seen this one before, but you know, Labyrinth and this one and, and some of her other early movies, you know, it's kind of, it kind of seems like the, the young girl and just, you would think that in a movie like the Rocketeer, well, it's, it's old timey. It's from the thirties. So you got to have the hero save her. No, actually she, she does pretty well on her own. Right. So I've always liked her character in that one. My, my short list that I mentioned would also include Labyrinth, Dark mm-hmm. City was on there too, and Sharon and I have been really enjoying Snowpiercer. Oh, so yeah. I'd, I'd throw that in there too. Cool. I finally played a scene with Neville Sinclair. There you go. All right. Um, and question number three: What was your first job? Paperboy. Oh, nice. Where was it, your route was in your neighborhood? Yeah. I worked oh, on a farm. Okay. Oh, no, okay. Oh, no, I, I was just going to ask Bo how old he was. Oh, geez. Um, hmm. 13-ish? Okay. 12-ish, maybe? Okay. And Pat, you said working on a farm? Worked on a farm. Started the winter when they had the Christmas trees. Um, and then, you know, that started there and then worked in their greenhouse in the spring and worked in the farm stand in the summer and did that from, yeah, same as Bo. Like I was 12, maybe 13, and did that all the way up into uh, into college. Yeah, mine uh, mine was a little bit later in life. I don't think I got my first job until I was, I want to say, was that junior or senior year of high school? Yeah, mine was a little bit later. My I got a job in the stock room at Sears. There you go. And it was not fun at all. <laughs> <clears throat> I absolutely hated it, pretty much every moment of it. Uh, the only reason that I got the job there was because a friend of mine, um, Bo, you know him too, Ed Gilreath. Ah, big Ed. Big Ed. Um, we, he was working there. And part of the reason, at least that's what he told me at the time, part of the reason he's like, yeah, we actually are like, we're always like lifting stuff and we're always like moving things around and like lifting heavy things and loading them up into people's cars. And he's like, it's, it's really not, he's like, it's not a super complicated job, but like, he's like, when I'm not playing a sport, like I can use that as like some of my weightlifting time to get ready for football and wrestling. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, work a job. Do a little weightlifting, get ready for the uh, getting ready for the football season, and get paid to do it. All right, sure, why not? My friend works there too. Let's let's do this. So, yeah, I, it didn't last very long for me. I I was there for most of the uh, I was there for the Christmas season, a little bit of the little bit of the winter time, and it. Uh, yeah, the job did not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> <clears throat> so that did not last long there. <laughs> There it is. All right. All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about this one? 
I think our thoughts were pretty straightforward. Yeah. That's yeah, a good movie. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. It's great. John Candy was amazing. Actually, that was probably one of my favorite parts. Yep. Yeah. Like that whole scene where he mistakes, where, where he's mistaken for the, uh, like operations manager or whatever he thought he was applying for. Yeah. 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 That was very good. All right. Well, if you want to find more of our episodes, you can go check us out at 30podcast.com at 30podcast on the different social medias. Uh, don't forget to check out our sponsor and the rest of the shows in the Scene Stealers podcast network by heading over to scenestealersglobal.com. Our next episode's coming up. Uh, May is our Crime Doesn't Pay month. We've got Boys in the Hood, Bugsy, The Last Boy Scout, and Point Break. Our May Patreon episode, for anybody who is joining us and supporting us over there on Patreon, is The French Connection from 1971. June is Shots Fired, Ricochet, JFK, Naked Gun, Two and a Half, Hot Shots, and Toy Soldiers. June Patreon is Guns of the Navarone from 1961. And then July is Across the Pond Month. We've got King Ralph, The Commitments, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Hook. And our July Patreon is a book review of the Heir to, Heir to the Empire uh, Thrawn trilogy of Star Wars books that came out starting in 1991. So lots of good stuff to look forward to for all of that. Um, have you, are, are you gentlemen up for the book review? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey. I've got to get cranking on that. Yeah. I, I'm knowing my own schedule and whatnot. I'm, I'm think I'm looking at audiobooks. Yeah. That might be the only way just knowing as well. Yeah. I mean, and we read yeah. them, I mean, a few years ago, that's what John and I were reading together for like bedtime stories before I'd tuck him in at night. So it's been recently that I've reread them. I say recently, and it's probably been like six years. Um, but yeah, I, I think knowing my own schedule, I, I think the, uh, the extent of my reading for that is probably going to be the audiobooks. Yeah. Which if, if anybody has ever like, that was the first audiobook I think I ever owned my parents. Mm -hmm. And that was the, I didn't even know they had new star Wars books coming out, but whenever, whatever year, um, heir to the empire the first book came out my dad got me the audiobook for christmas oh, I, nice. and i had never owned an audiobook before we always had cassettes that had like old episodes of the superman radio show and mm -hmm. stuff like that on it but i never actually had like an audiobook and he got me that one and and it was new star wars i didn't even know they were coming out with new star wars stories and i was completely hooked from that yeah. point on, I think after listening to that audiobook, I tried to get my hands on other audiobooks. And from that point on, I think I bought every Star Wars book that came out, you know, up until maybe like 10 years ago. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's time to, I think, delve back into the Star Wars books. I mean, there's been so much other stuff written that this that's kind of like the multiverse of Star Wars. It's an alternative timeline or what, you know, in some cases. Yeah. Or you just don't even have to headcanon it, just enjoy the books. But uh, right. yeah, I remember when those came out. I still have my three copies that I got when I was a kid and those came out. And Yeah, I have the copies so just in a bin. I got to track them down or go yeah. audio book, which is more likely. What I yeah, that's, that's what we, it's going to be fun. The three copies that we have, we got because um, I had I had my old paperback copies that I originally mm -hmm. got of the second and third one because I had the audiobook of the first one. I had the second one and third one in paperback. Um, but then 
a few years ago, and that was probably about five or six years ago now too. Um, we went out and and because John had enjoyed reading them so much, we went out and got the hardcover versions of them. And not long after getting the hardcover versions, we actually went to a little comic book convention at the Lake County Fairgrounds over cool. here. And uh, Timothy Zahn was actually there signing autographs. Oh, awesome. And he was, and, and because it was such a, it wasn't a very big comic convention. I mean, that was one of the nice things about it was it was, it was really small compared to when we'd go to the really huge one at McCormick Place in Chicago. Um, basically, we were walking around and we noticed there was a table and it said, uh, Star Wars author Timothy Zahn. I was yeah. like, whoa, whoa, hold on. What? He's here? <laughs> Okay, so and and we had well no actually we we kind of knew that because we brought the books with us, um, but we're like okay, I didn't actually think that like we'd be able to catch him, and there, like it wasn't busy, but there was nobody mm-hmm. at his table. I, I don't know if it was his his spouse or his assistant or whoever was there, and and John walked up and we're like oh we missed him, and she goes no 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 hold on a second he just went to the bathroom he'll be back in a second, I'm like oh okay, <laughs> like is there a particular time he's signing? She's like no. Like you've got plenty of time. Like we're here all day. All right. So yeah, we got, we got, we talked to him for a little bit and you know, John got all three of his books signed by him and got his picture taken with him. And you know, it was just, it was fun. It was fun to get to meet him. Cool. That was also around the time that John got his books signed by and got to meet uh, just for a minute or so, got to meet RL Stein. He got all of his, uh, got a whole bunch of his, um, uh, I'm blanking out. Goosebumps, the Goosebumps books signed. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. All right. Well, gentlemen, that's going to do it for us this time. As always, thank you for being here with me. Thank you, John. All right, everyone. Thank you, John. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time. (laughs) 